Welcome to the NLP Highlights Podcast, where we invite researchers to talk about their work in various areas in natural language processing. The usual hosts are Matt Gardner and Pradeep Desigi, but for today's episode, I'll be joining Pradeep as a guest host. My name is Carissa Shanik, and I'm a Program Manager and Communications Director at AI2. Today, we're turning the tables and interviewing your usual host, Matt Gardner, about Allen NLP, an open-source NLP research library provided by AI2. This week, we're releasing version one of Allen NLP, an important milestone for this platform. So, Matt, tell me about the origins of Allen NLP. Why did AI2 decide to build it, and how did it get started? This feels a little bit weird, being the <laughs> interviewed one instead of the interviewer, but I guess this goes back like three and a half or four years ago to an earlier version of, I guess I was learning how to do deep learning. In my PhD thesis, I was doing knowledge-based completion and focused on like log linear kinds of methods. And when the deep learning revolution happened in NLP, I was just focused on finishing my thesis and it kind of passed me by. And so when I got to AI2, I was learning stuff and tried to use Keras, which is a, a library built at the time on top of Theano and TensorFlow. It was had a bunch of different backends trying to make it easy to just give a high-level API to deep learning for a lot of different things. And I was using this to try to do NLP, and I found that it was difficult, particularly like when you wanted to do complex things. I was doing reading comprehension on Squad, the Stanford question answering data set. And there you have a passage that you get as input and a question and an answer where the answer is, is required to be a span a span of text in the, the paragraph that you get as input. And this is a complex input data type that requires padding in two different places if you want to batch things together, because you need, in as input to these tensor libraries, you need to have fixed length paragraphs and fixed length questions. And so you have to pad shorter questions and shorter paragraphs. And it was a mess getting this to work right. And like when you try to compute probability distributions over masked stuff, getting this to actually work right in Keras, it was very difficult to do this right. And so I started building a simple library to do some easy stuff in data processing and like masking and padding kinds of utilities for Keras. And Pradeep actually was an intern with me at the time. And I was thinking like, how do I, how do I make a library that makes it easy for interns to come and make progress quickly? So Anyway, this is the beginnings of what turned into Allen NLP. So then we fast forward like six months, eight months, and Luke Zettelmoyer joined AI2. And he was starting a new team and wanted as part of this to release a toolkit that was basically, can we get, his students had recently done a co-reference resolution model that was state-of-the-art and a semantic role labeling model that was state-of-the-art. And it was like, can we can we package these together and like rethink NLP toolkits and build something that's useful? And I had this library that I had been working on and I talked to Luke and we decided to build what he wanted to build on top of what I had. Except then we looked at what I had and decided it really needed to be rewritten. And so we took the good ideas from it and rewrote it from scratch on top of PyTorch. And that that turned into Allen NLP. I guess there's one other important consideration that I didn't mention. Elmo was happening at the time. Matt Peters had been working on I had seen the early papers that turned into what became Elmo and had been talking with Matt and helping him a little bit work on this. And I wanted the library that we were building to make it really easy for you to use Elmo or not in whatever experiment you wanted to do. 
And the input representations for Elmo and what came before, which is glove vectors or a number of other possible things, are like very different. And so we needed the library to have some abstraction layer that made it easy to switch, even though the, the underlying input representations were like totally different, but everything on top could be the same so that you could do like controlled experiments and like actually have an easy way to make a table and a paper that will show your claim in a controlled way that Elmo works. And so this, this was another like huge thing we were thinking about in like how this library developed. That's great. Sounds like Elmo was a huge motivating factor. And I wanted to ask you about kind of early challenges you encountered with building this library. You touched a little on, on doing that, but um, anything else that, that kind of stuck out to you as a, a unique challenge for building something for the wider community? Yeah. So I can dig a little bit more into Elmo actually. So when you think about how do I how do I make the code generalizable from something like Glove to something like Elmo? It's challenging because this requires touching pieces of data processing and model code at the same time. Because if I'm using Glove vectors, uh, or say a Glove vector concatenated with a character convolutional neural network representation, then I'm going to need a particular representation in my input, and I'm going to need particular pieces in my model that are coupled with that input representation in order for things to work out correctly. And then if I then switch this with Elmo, again, I have a very different input character representation and different model pieces in the model side. And so the way we designed this in the initial library that was the precursor to Allen NLP was to couple the data processing and the model code so that you have one object that does both pieces which at some level makes sense because like these have to be coupled. There is necessarily, you need the input representation to match what the model is doing. The trouble is this coupling makes it really hard to reuse pieces of the library. You really want the data processing to be separate from the model so you can swap it out. And same, same with the model if you want to do different modeling stuff, but use the data processing code that we've built because you like it for some reason. If things are so coupled, it makes reuse really hard. And so this was one thing that we changed from the precursor to Allen NLP to our rewrite when we actually wrote Allen NLP in PyTorch. We tried to be sure that pieces were decoupled so that you, like, there has to be some coordination between the data side and the model side, of course, because they have to work together. But it's no longer a single object that does both operations. And we still wonder sometimes, because like Transformers, uh, now that things have changed again, there are things that would be a lot easier if you just had a single Python object that did both of these things at the same time. But that makes it really hard to only pick and choose, like if you like our data, data processing, if we have one object that does both pieces, it gets really confusing. So this is something we've struggled with a lot. <laughs> sounds good. I mean, it sounds like there's a lot going on inside the library. So, I mean, you have several demos, you've got a bunch of pre-trained models, and there are ways to retrain models or even build your own models. So, like, how are people using Allen NLP? I guess it's designed to do a bunch of different things. It's got, I guess, here, here's another thing that was an important factor in the design of Allen NLP. We really wanted it to be really easy to to put up a demo of your model once it's built. A strong proponent of actually looking at what your model does. I think it's far too easy to see aggregate numbers and be essentially misled by high numbers. And if you just poke around with what your model does and like change inputs, like take an existing test example, tweak it a little bit, I guess not test, but dev. Anyway, if you play around with, with what a model does in a demo, you get a whole lot more insight about what you should do next in research. 
And so we intentionally designed APIs to make it easy for you to take your model and serve it in a demo. And this also makes it easy for us to put up a demo. And we have demos that we host of models that at least at some point were close to state of the art. Uh, we've they, they were stale for a bit. We've refreshed most of them. So now, right now, they're pretty close to state of the art, but that'll change. They'll get stale again. But when I look at, you ask like, how do people use LNLP? I get citation notifications for the LNLP paper. So I, because I, I'm curious, I, I check and see whenever I get one of these, how people use it. And the majority of them are like, they, they took our demo basically and made some predictions with our demo models and used those predictions to do something. Like, interestingly, this was not a use case that we really anticipated. That wasn't what we were designing for, but people use it and that's good because apparently it's useful. Another way is to take our reference implementations of these models and retrain it on new data. I see that quite a bit. It's less common, but I do see this a little bit where people actually use the library to write their own model. The other two uses are are much more common, which we when I was designing this and thinking about it, it was this third use case that I was trying to support where people were writing their own models and people use that turns out less than the other two. But just this morning, actually, I got a citation notification of someone who built a vision plus language model using Allen NLP, which I thought was pretty interesting, especially because that's not a use case that we had in mind when we designed the library. That's really cool. Is that something that you think you'll see more and more of in the coming months? And Yes, I've been involved in several projects recently that did some vision plus language experimentation. So specifically, uh, natural language visual reasoning. We did some stuff with neural module networks. This is this is a data set called NLVR2 from Cornell, Yoav Artsy, Elaine Soar, and others. So we did some neural module networks on top of this, which is this is the the research area that I'm pretty excited about. I won't. I could go off talking for a, a while about that, but I'll spare you. But but <laughs> we'll have to but, do a follow up podcast. <laughs> but but yes, generally we are thinking a lot about. Because people like the reference implementations that we have and use them a lot, we're thinking, what things could we add that, that are, that's missing? And vision and language is a big one. Summarization and other more general sequence generation kinds of things are things that we are actively thinking about adding right now. That's fantastic. I'd like to just uh, add something quickly. Because this is an open source project, we get lots of uh, contributions from people using Allen NLP, and that's been a pretty strong point, right? I mean, Matt, would you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, definitely. Like, so, some of the major features that we've had recently have been either inspired or directly contributed by outside folks. And yes, we really like this. For instance, um, automatic mixed precision training, AMP, this was can give you dramatic speedups by using fewer bits to represent all of the weights in your network. This was added by someone not at AI2 and makes the library faster. It's something people have wanted for a long time. We haven't had the bandwidth to get to it. Someone else outside got to it, and we were really happy about it. And yes, we love having people contribute. We've wondered, like especially because our models, the reference implementations of the models that we have are something people use a lot. We've been wondering what's the right way to try to get people to contribute models to the library, which hasn't happened nearly as much. I think actually the way we were thinking about it originally is probably the wrong way to think about it because we we really don't want to be in the position of hosting and in some sense taking credit for other people's models. That's That doesn't align incentives very well in the research community. 
And so what we're trying to do now is have a better way to host, like point people to third-party repositories where other, other people's code lives. We highlight what they did. Um, I think a recent one we did this with has an AI2 connection, but the, there was a project that I worked on with Nitish Gupta at the University of Pennsylvania. And this was, again, neural module networks for a data set called DROP, reading comprehension data set that requires some numerical reasoning. Nitish wrote code in his own repository. We helped him get it into a demo, and we are now hosting what I think is a pretty fun neural module network demo that operates on paragraphs of text. And this is a model that we're trying to encourage more where we find interesting projects that we could highlight in our demo and basically advertise for other people instead of this like conflicted thing where like we're not sure if we want to encourage people to like submit their code back because that if Nitish had like pushed his code into Allen NLP, then it like hurts Nitish in some sense from a PR perspective because we want his name to be recognized. He did the work. We don't want to take credit for what he did. And so this is how we think about like third-party contributions. Like definitely we love contributions to like the model components, helping the library get better. But for models themselves, it's probably better for everyone if we just highlight other people's repositories that use the library in interesting ways. Great. Okay. So this week we're actually releasing Allen NLP version one. This is the first major versioning of this library and it's a major milestone for us. So um, tell us a little bit about what users can expect with this release. Yeah, I think some of the feedback that we've gotten for a long time is that there's a steep learning curve to Allen NLP. Uh, you kind of have to buy into a bunch of things in order to even get started because we had we had kind of bundled together an experimentation framework with the library components. And to me, the major the major feature, the major thing that we did for 1.0 is try to explicitly separate the experimentation framework that we have from the library components themselves. So the library, in some sense, really has three main pieces. There are APIs for data processing, there are APIs for building models, and there are APIs for training models, and some other bells and whistles, like other things for demos and for interpretations and stuff. But the, the main pieces are like the data, the model, and the training. And these were previously very hard to use outside of an additional experimentation framework that let you like do configuration file driven experiments. But we've we've kind of torn those apart so that if you want to use just our data processing code and different model code in a different trainer, you can do that. It's fine. If you want to use our data processing and our model, but a different trainer like PyTorch Lightning, you can do that. It works and it's relatively easy to use. And if you want to write your own experiment framework, you, you want to just write simple Python scripts to train your models and run your experiments and not use our, the configuration files stuff that we had, that's easy and doable. And we have new tutorial material to show you how to do that. So the goal here was to simplify a lot of parts and make the learning curve, the barrier to entry, much lower. That's one major bit. Another major bit is updated models. The transformer revolution uh, of the last couple of years in some sense kind of passed us by. We had been distracted on other things. Luke left AI2. I moved to Southern California and started co-advising PhD students and focusing a lot more of my time on mentoring research projects. And so 
the library kind of flatlined a little bit in some sense for a while. We're trying to change that. And so we've refreshed all of our reference implement. I think all of, maybe most all of our reference implementations, like our co-reference resolution model is now basically at state of the art. It was not nearly close before. Basically all of the models in our demo now are backed by Roberta instead of Elmo or earlier. We've made it a lot easier to use the new, like updated, up-to-date transformers from Hugging Faces Transformers Library. So that's another big piece, just refreshing everything, making it easier to use with 2020 NLP instead of 2018 NLP. Another major piece is brand new introductory material in the form of what we're calling an Allen NLP guide. This is based off of some stuff from the Spacey folks. They introduced this framework for building interactive courses. And we took that, made a bunch of tweaks to it, and released this guide that has chapters for a quick start that shows you how to use the library, either using our configuration files, if you want to use our experiment framework, or if you want to use it just writing your own Python code, it shows you how to do both of those in a quick start kind of introductory thing. And then there's a, a whole section of this guide that talks about in more detail what's going on with all of the APIs and abstractions that we provide, why they're there, why they're designed the way they are, and how to use them. So it's this part is more focused on like you've been using the library a little bit, but you want to understand it better and get more out of it. Maybe break outside of the box that you might have thought existed from the quick start and use pieces that we have a little bit better. This this section of the guide aims to explain how all of that works better. And then there's a third section that is still in progress. We're not very far here yet, but the the intent is to have a series of chapters showing how to do various tasks with NLP, with Allen NLP. Targeted in kind of at like, say you're teaching a course at a university and you give your lecture on like the math and the theory behind say semantic parsing or co-reference resolution. And you want to point somewhere that has like, how do you actually write code for this? You maybe don't want to talk about this in your lecture, but our intent is to have as part of this guide these chapters that talk about, say you want to write co code for co-reference resolution, here's how you would do it. And then I guess the last thing that we've been thinking about, some of which is already in LNNLP and some uh, is already in version 1.0 and some of which might come in version 1.1, we're taking a look at a lot of performance issues. And so the mixed precision training that I talked about previously goes into this. We're trying to fix, like, so we, we distributed training works better now. We're trying to cut down data processing overhead time, and just make everything dramatically faster. Our goal for the year actually is to have the training time for a large portion of our models. So like 50% speed up. And we're pretty close in some configurations. We're like 47% in some like multi-GPU kinds of applications. Some other settings aren't quite so fast yet, but we're working on it. Awesome. Something else I wanted to ask you kind of about just using the library generally is when would you recommend using Allen NLP over alternatives like Spacey or Stanza or, you know, any of the other NLP libraries that are available today? Yeah. So I guess there are a lot of options these days, which is a good place for the field to be in. Why would you pick Allen NLP? One thing that I've heard some people like is, I guess I've heard this a few times, like when I want to understand how a model works, I go and read the Allen NLP reference implementation because it's clean, it's well-documented, and I can understand what's going on in that code. And so that's 
one reason you might want you might choose to use LNNLP because we have a good reference implementation for something that you want to work on. Another reason that you might choose LNNLP is if you have complex data processing. A lot of tasks these days are you just concatenate everything and pass it into a transformer and uh, maybe you don't need complex stuff in that case, but if you have, I don't know, semantic parsing where you need to take as input like a grammar and or like available production rules in a, in a grammar, or maybe you're doing some kind of retrieval. Like there, there are a lot of cases where you have complex data processing requirements. And I think Allen NLP has a pretty nicely designed data API to solve a lot of problems for you in complex data processing things, particularly around like batching things together, padding things correctly, the efficiently padding thing or batching things together. Just as a quick example of this, say I have paragraphs, I'm, I'm doing a squad again, reading comprehension. So here you can have paragraphs of text and questions, and you want to batch these paragraphs and questions together in a way that minimizes padding computation, right? You have to get all of them to a fixed length in order to pass them into tensor operations. But if I batch together a very long paragraph with a very short paragraph, then I'll be spending a lot of time on padding computation. So again, I guess maybe that's more applicable to RNNs than it is to transformers. But even still, you can get gains if I batch together. In a transformer, if I have fewer things like if I if I batch together all of my short things, I will take less computation than if I put the short things with the long things, even in a transformer. And this kind of in smart batching just happens for you automatically in Allen NLP. You don't really have to think about it at all. It just you just get it. And there are other other places, other things like this where complex data processing is just nicer. I would say in Allen NLP. Another thing that that I push for. I don't know what people think about this, but I think it's really helpful to think about your model in higher level terms than the low level tensor operations. So for instance, in say, let's take BIDAF. This is a bidirectional attention flow model, which is on squad. A few years old, but that's okay. It can still demonstrate the point. Here, basically what we're doing is we're encoding our inputs and then we're aligning the inputs, then maybe contextualizing them a little bit more and then predicting something, predicting a span. And that there are options for how to do each of those low-level operations, but thinking about it at that higher level helps you understand what's going on better and can help you write easier code, I think. And especially if you want to experiment with, well, how should I contextualize this or how should I align the sequences? So Allen NLP is designed such that, that these higher-level operations are abstracted and you, you write your, or at least you can, write your model code using high-level abstractions that let you think at a higher level about what your model is doing and experiment easily with what's going on inside those particular operations. Another example of this is um, span representations. So this is probably a less appreciated modeling technique, but I think it's pretty useful. Our co-reference resolution model and our semantic role labeling model, again, the, the underlying modeling ideas here are due to Kenton Lee and others, uh, Lu Hang Ha and others of, of Luke's students. But the, the abstractions in the code, we, we, take, we make it very easy for you to get representations of spans of text from any encoded inputs. And 
So the semantic role labeler just gets a representation of all spans and then scores them, scores them and potentially labels them. The coreference resolution model just gets representations of spans, gets pairs, like, and then finds possible antecedents, gets pairs of them, gives a pairwise score. But all the the base like th things become very easy when you have APIs that just give you span representations, and Allen NLP has code that does that. So there, when things get complex, I guess is my point, either on the data side or on the modeling side, Allen NLP tries to provide abstractions and APIs that help you to do these things easily. I guess one thing to add here is I really like this uh, example that you gave, Matt. Uh, I guess this also allows us to use uh, these abstractions across models, right? I mean, if you thought of span representations for co-reference resolution and you're building uh, some sort of a reading comprehension model later and you believe that the same span representations can be used, you could reuse a lot of that code in your reading comprehension model as well, right? I think that's a great advantage here. Yeah, yeah, and it's related to something that was an initial motivation for Allen NLP, though I haven't seen it done quite as much. Say you're someone who's developing a new way of representing spans. The, your research contribution is a new, I guess backing up, Kenton Lee had a particular way of getting a representation for each span given the encoded inputs that like did a self-attention, essentially trying to find the head of the span and then doing a weighted sum of the span the, the individual tokens in the span given this head dis, this distribution over which word I think is the head and that's your span representation. So anyway, if you have some new idea of how to do this, if I have a collection of reference implementations for a, models for a bunch of different tasks that all use the same API, then all I have to do is implement a new implementation of the span representation encoder or whatever whatever it's called. And then I can just retrain all of the reference implementation models that just use this API with my new idea, and I get my experiments really easily. And it just makes it much, much easier to do general cross-cutting NLP experiments in a way that I think is really hard without something like this. I haven't seen this done that much, but like Elmo, for instance, that the Elmo experiments were run before LNNLP was actually done but that paper would have been much easier given the APIs and the reference implementations that we have now. I guess pushing this a little further, I wonder if it makes it easier to think about new research ideas given these abstractions. Possibly. I guess definitely. Like If you're thinking at a high level on what are the basic operations that a model does, and I think like what are different ways that I could do these basic operations, then sure, yes, it helps you come up with different ideas. Another, the reason I say possibly is that there, there's also the case where the abstractions kind of box you in to a particular way of thinking about things and might keep you from thinking about other kinds of research ideas that might be very useful, but the library is not designed to make easy, and so they just don't get done. And on that note, that's why it's important to have the library, have it easy, that the library should be easy to break out of if you need to break out of it and do something that it, it wasn't originally designed for. And Allen NLP, at any point that you want, you can like use your own trainer if you want to do different kinds of training things. The model implementation is really just plain PyTorch. You could do whatever you want in PyTorch. You can forget about the, the model abstractions that we have if you want. And so everything still works if you need to break out of the abstractions. I guess one final thing that I will note with like why you might choose Allen NLP is something that we talked about earlier, like serving demos. We try to make this really easy. Similarly, because we use these common abstractions, it's actually pretty easy to write general techniques for 
getting model interpretations, for instance. It's a little bit questionable how useful or accurate the interpretations are. That's still an, uh, an area of active research. But if you want to experiment with these things, because we have reference implementations of a lot of models that use a common API, we can write common abstractions for getting model interpretations that just work across any of the models that you might want to do. And so if you want to do these kinds of things, then again, Allen NLP might be a good choice. Another thing I would add is um, that as a user of Allen NLP, one thing that I uh, really like is the testing framework. I really like uh, writing tests for my research code, which is something that I started only after I started using Allen NLP instead of other, other frameworks. Allen NLP does provide some basic tests that you could uh, you could run as soon as you write your own model, right? And I find that pretty useful. Yeah, our philosophy there is that your data processing code should have like concrete tests to make sure that you, the outputs that you get are actually what you expect given the inputs, which is really important just so you don't have any data processing bugs. And then once you have that simple data test, it's really easy to write. We have built in a, a test for models that just makes sure that the, the model can run we take the data that you gave us. Hopefully it's like a data file that has like five examples or something, just something very small so it runs very quickly. We load that data, make sure it loads, make sure it gets passed to the model correctly, make sure the model can actually run on that data, that it returns a loss that we can compute gradients for, and that all of the parameters that you've specified in your model have non-zero gradients. And so, yeah, we could. this is built in, you get that for free with like three lines of writing a test class for this. And so, yeah, you're right. That's another feature if you like this kind of test-driven development, which I would encourage for those that don't have a software engineering background. This is definitely something that helps you a lot as you're writing code. Great. So this library has come such a long way over the last couple of years. And with you know the release of this new version, there's, there's so much utility for so many aspects of NLP from learning it and exploring it to actually experimenting with it. And I'm wondering, you know, what's next? Like what's coming up for Alan NLP? Yeah, I think we've hit on most of the things throughout this conversation about what's coming next. So a big one that we're focusing on right now, which is only partially going to be in the 1.0 release, but will be in the next release, uh, is performance. We're trying to make things a whole lot faster by, as I said, reducing boilerplate and overhead in data processing mostly so that you, I guess a little bit of detail on that. If you have your main process loading data that stops the GPU from running. And so you get low GPU utilization if you're using a single main process to do all of your data loading. And so one thing we did to fix this was switch. We had written our own custom data processing code. We switched to using native PyTorch data loaders where they already have some multiprocessing built in. And it this, as a side effect, also makes it very easy to fit into the rest of like the PyTorch ecosystem. Like PyTorch Lightning assumes you have a data loader, a PyTorch data loader. And now because we've switched to using native PyTorch stuff, it's a lot easier to mix and match whatever you want with LNNLP and other libraries. So this also is driving some of the performance gains that we have seen so far and are still working on. As I also said earlier, we're thinking about what, what other reference implementations can we build? Vision and language, vision plus language kinds of things is something we're thinking about a lot. BART, so better sequence to sequence support in terms of BART and other 
maybe even T5. I don't know. We'll see what we get to. But like a reference implementation of a summarization model, for instance, is something that you should expect to see pretty soon in Allen NLP. And in general, thinking more about what kinds of reference implementations for other models might people want and use, and can we build them? And also, how can we do better at highlighting what other people have implemented and pointing to it instead of having to build all of the reference implementations ourselves. I mentioned that we we built this Allen NLP guide. It's live now, but it's only partially complete. So more stuff, more content is coming to the guide in terms of in both of the, the sections that I talked about for like what abstractions are there in Allen NLP, how do you use them better, and what tasks can you do, some examples of how to do different tasks with Allen NLP. And something that isn't concrete yet, but I'd like to see more of is like better use of our demo. We currently only show for a demo the output of a model on a single instance. I think there's a lot that we could do if we take as input a, a data set. We'd have to pre-compute a bunch of stuff, but you could imagine demos that show a model and like its output on a whole data set, summarizing things and interesting things there that we could do. Yeah, th this that's farther away, definitely, but it's something that I would like to see. Great. All right. Well, thank you so much, Matt, for giving us some great insight into what's new and what's coming up for the Allen NLP platform. Uh, listeners can check it out at allennlp.org. Uh, you can follow along with AI2's research and our new releases at allen underscore AI on Twitter or visit us on the web at allenai.org. Thanks.